We turn to reading God's Word. We turn to Mark's Gospel for one final time. And we start reading in chapter 15 from verse 33. And we're going to read from there into chapter 16 as far as verse 8. It's page 1028 in our church Bibles. Let's hear God's Word as we do this now. Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, from verse 33. It's not on the screens, but uh, there we are. Chapter 15, verse 33, page 1028. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, Mary Magdalene, And Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, 
who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Before I start, I've omitted to say it's great to have Ben back with us again. Hi, Ben, from Indonesia, back with us for a short time, I presume. Good to see you here. Anyway, let's uh, look this morning at uh, Mark 16 and verse 6. We've been going through Mark's gospel in eight large steps, and uh, today we come to that final step, and I read from verse 6. And he, that is the angel, said to the women, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And this morning we come to the last greatest acts of Jesus, the Son of God, that we have recorded for us in Mark's Gospel. He's done many wonderful things. He's cast out demons. He's healed paralytics. He's calmed the storm. He's raised the dead. He's fed thousands of people with just a tiny amount of food. He has gone around the whole of Israel doing great works, but no works like this. He has died, and we will come later on to remember and to partake in the death of Jesus Christ. And he has risen from the dead, the greatest work of all. How are we going to deal with this? Well, I want us all together to go to the tomb, as it were, with those women on the first Easter Sunday morning today. Let's see what they saw, and let's travel that journey with them. And we could begin by asking the question, what were these women expecting? They were expecting to find the stone rolled across the tomb. They were expecting there to be a great difficulty in moving that stone from where it was, because it was very heavy and very large. And they were expecting, when they got inside the tomb eventually, that the dead body of Jesus would still be there, wrapped up in its linen shrouds as it was just a few days earlier. No one, not the women, nor the disciples, nor the enemies of Jesus, seemed to have thought for a moment that he would ever rise from the dead, although he had predicted this so many times. But listen to the words of this young man as he's described. He's also termed an angel in Matthew's Gospel. What does he say to these women? Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. All right then. You know that he was crucified. 
There's nothing controversial about that, is there? Everybody knew that Jesus had been crucified. That's not in doubt. It was a public death. A great crowd saw Jesus on the cross being crucified. They knew he was crucified. They knew he was dead. But then the words of this young man are absolutely, they are absolutely cosmic in their power and meaning. They are earth-changing, life-changing, universe-changing. And are they changing for you and for me? That is the question this morning. You seek a man who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen. He's risen from the dead. And my friends, this morning, I want you all to understand that that makes every difference. And how do I want to approach this passage this morning? I want to begin by assuming, or supposing, in fact, that Jesus had been crucified, but had not risen. What if he had not risen from the dead? What if he was still dead? What would be true if Jesus had never risen from the dead? What would be the consequences in three areas? What would be the consequences for Jesus himself? What would be the consequences for God's people everywhere? And what would be the consequences for the whole earth and universe if Jesus had never risen from the dead. Let's deal with those three, thinking, first of all, that Jesus might not have risen from the dead. If Jesus, having been crucified, had not risen from the dead, what could we say about him? Do you know the answer? Hardly anything. Not much at all. Jesus of Nazareth need not occupy any of your time or mine if he never rose from the dead. He would be little more than a footnote in history. He would merit only a very short Wikipedia article of maybe two or three paragraphs, and that's all. Jesus would have joined the list of would-be messiahs who had promised much but ultimately failed and come to nothing. And uh, we go to read on in the book of Acts in chapter 5 about a a wise man called Gamaliel who is uh, thinking about this very question because all these disciples are saying that uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. Well, says Gamaliel, you remember a couple of characters. Do you remember a fellow called Theudas? Who's Theudas? Well, he tells us. Acts chapter 5, verse 36. Theudas rose up. Doesn't mean rose from the dead. He, He rose himself up with his followers, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400 men, joined him. There was a movement There was some sort of political uh, pressure going on there. But he was killed. And all who followed him were scattered and they came to nothing. And then Gamaliel mentions another, another guy, Judas the Galilean, who also drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him 
were scattered. And that was the end of Judas the Galilean. And that was the end of Judas. And this is what happens, you see, to wannabe messiahs. They start, they get going, they gather a crowd, they say, follow me, I am him, I'm somebody great, I will deliver you into a promised land. But they prove to be false. And when they are ended or killed, that's the end of their movement. There have been others in history. Later on, there was a fellow called uh, Bar Kokhba, also known as Ben Kosiba. Make, make a big noise for a while, big rebellion, big, big armed movement, big struggle, but then he's killed and it's all over. Some of us here may remember some 25 years ago, a man called David Koresh, remember him? And the Waco uh, movement in Texas there, claiming to be some kind of messianic figure. Follow me, I will bring you to the end times. I am he, said this man, but he was a complete deceiver, a wicked man. And he was killed and the compound destroyed and his movement again came to nothing. Understand this this morning. If Jesus never rose from the dead, the memory of him, the whole Jesus movement would immediately have evaporated. He would be seen at best as misguided and deluded and at worst as a treacherous liar. That's it for Jesus if he never rose from the dead. I have another question for you this morning. If Jesus, having been crucified, did not rise from the dead, what would be true about God's people? And indeed, people all over the world, like us. What's the answer? If Jesus never rose from the dead... What's true about us here at Grove Chapel this morning? I'll tell you the answer. We would all be in a condition of complete hopelessness, misery, despair, and futility. Maybe you feel like that anyway. And I'll tell you at the end why you needn't feel like that this morning. Because Jesus is actually alive. But hear what we're saying. And you don't need to take my word for it. The Apostle Paul says exactly this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 17. He says exactly what I'm saying. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What does futile mean? It means empty. It means vain. It means pointless. It means for no reason. It means it's all a waste of time. If Jesus Christ never rose from the dead, there is no Christian message worth preaching or believing. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, there is absolutely no point whatsoever in being a Christian because the man is a liar or a deceiver or a madman or a fable, as C.S. Lewis and others have said down through history. What's the point of following somebody like that? I wouldn't be a pastor. I would see no point in being a Christian. I wouldn't live as a Christian at all if I thought that Jesus was not risen from the dead. The whole Christian message stands or falls on that. Some of you have seen the 
the Lee Strobel film and Lee Strobel, this journalist some 40 years ago, whose wife becomes a Christian and he wants to try and disprove uh, this whole Christian faith. And what does he do? He talks to a colleague at work and this colleague says, listen, Lee, if you want to try and get to the bottom of this whole Christian malarkey, understand this, it all hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then there's something to it. If he isn't risen from the dead, then it is all blown apart. And that's true. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, there is no point in coming here at all, and we should lock these doors and put this building to far better use than meeting here to celebrate some kind of myth or fable. The Apostle Paul is right. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Understand that? If Jesus is still dead, you're still in your sins, because the two go together. Try and follow this. Understand this. If Jesus died and is still dead, what is his death compared to any other death? He's as dead as anybody else. The wages of sin, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Why do people die? Because we're sinners. Death is the consequence and payment of sin. So if Jesus is still dead and has been dead for 2,000 years, then Jesus is still under the condemnation of sin. And if he can't deliver himself from the condemnation of sin, then how will he ever deliver anybody else from that condemnation of sin? We can put it like this. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then everyone who has ever, ever lived, including Jesus himself, is still under the wrath and the anger and the judgment of Almighty God and has nothing to expect except everlasting condemnation and punishment. If Jesus is dead, there is no salvation for anyone on earth, full stop. And we are all doomed. But there's a third question. If Jesus, having been crucified, has not risen from the dead, then what can we say about the whole universe around us? And here's the answer. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then all the secular scientists and evolutionists and secular environmentalists are all absolutely right, and every Christian believer is absolutely wrong. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then death and decay and extinction are the final words about our whole world, our whole universe. And if that were the case, we should leave meeting here completely and throw in our lot with Extinction Rebellion and everything else, we might as well do that, folks, because we might claw back a few extra years of human life on this earth before the sea levels and the melting ice caps and the increased CO2 levels start to choke us and destroy life. Let's get in there and join the Extinction Rebellion. Our world is dying. 
We may as well rearrange a few deck chairs on our sinking Titanic while we might, because we may as well say, let's eat and drink, tomorrow we die, and that will be it. If Jesus never rose from the dead, that is it. And this world is doomed, not just the people, but the whole planet. Because one day we know the sun isn't going to last forever, so we're told it's going to swell up into a great red giant star, that's uh, one theory anyway, and the earth will be swallowed up, burnt to a cinder, end of life, that's it. If Jesus is dead, then there is no hope for anything or anyone. The picture is bleak and completely hopeless. But... I want to ask the same questions again now. And I want to ask them with a very different assumption in our minds. And that is, assuming that Jesus did rise from the dead, just as he said he would. And just as it says here that he did. Same, different scenario, same questions. Knowing that Jesus Christ has been crucified and risen again, what are the consequences for Jesus himself? Well, they are just as the angel says here in verse 7. Look at verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. If Jesus is alive, then everything must be just as he told us. I'll put it to you like this. If Jesus has done the most difficult thing, which he said he was ever going to do, then we know that we can believe him and trust him for everything else that he's ever said. Let me give you an illustration. You want some jobs done on your house and car and garden and plot of land. And along comes a handyman. You find him on next door Camberwell or whatever, or you, you, you Google and here is this, uh, here comes, I don't know, Marv the Magical Handyman. Marv or Merv, Marv the Mervelous, Merv the Marvelous, I can't get it right. Anyway, here he comes and he says, I'm here to be your handyman. And um, I can... Um, I can transform your garden. I can landscape it for you, just as you want it. Okay. I can fix your car. Everything will be good as new, even though your car's a clapped-out old banger, 15 years old. I'll make it as good as new. Okay. And then I will also rebuild your house to be absolutely, stunningly the house of your dreams. Which of those three would you like that man to be able to do that you believe he will do anything that he says? I think I'd go for the third one, actually. The biggest one of them all. You're saying you can rebuild my house, make it absolutely new, make it perfect, make it beautiful, make it the house of my dreams. Yes, I will, he says. He, says, he tells us three times, I'll do all those things, I'll do all those things, and I'll rebuild your house. You won't believe what you'll see, but I'll make your house perfect. And he does it. And he does it. Do you not say at the end of that, I can trust this man to do any job that I ask him to do. He can do it. If he can rebuild my house, as well as do everything else, I trust him. And here's Jesus saying three times to his disciples, I'm going to be, I'm going to be 
hated and uh, persecuted and I'm going to suffer and be spat on and I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to rise again. And it happens. He can do everything the Bible says he can do. If Jesus is risen from the dead, just as he said, then therefore this follows. I must have confidence that he is the Christ, the Son of God. As he said. I must have confidence that Jesus is the Saviour, the Deliverer, first promised back in Genesis 3, 4,000 years earlier, and then prophesied by Moses and Samuel and the prophets ever since. Everything about him said by these men over thousands of years must be true if he's risen from the dead, because all these things follow from the greatest work that he's done. I must have confidence that this Jesus is, at this very moment, seated at the right hand of the Father on high, that all authority in heaven and on earth, all power, everything is given to him, just as he said. He said he would do these things, and he's done them. Therefore, I can believe him. What more can I ask of him than what he has done? He's done them. He is who he says he is. And therefore, I must have confidence that he is coming back soon, just as he said, to judge the living and the dead. He's coming to judge you. He's coming to judge me. It's real. It's as real as his life and death and resurrection. It's as real as that empty tomb. He's coming again. Indeed, I must have confidence that if Jesus rose from the dead, then this therefore follows. Everything written in this book, the Bible, must be true, must be reliable, must be important, must be necessary, must be enough, must be enough for me to believe and be saved. There we are. If he's alive, I can say these things about Jesus. And it follows then, if he's alive, as he said he would rise from the dead, then this follows for God's people and for us here this morning. It follows, therefore, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, which announces the forgiveness of sins, is a living and true gospel, a gospel to be preached and believed. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said to his disciples in Luke 24, verse 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. We said a few minutes ago with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not raised, then we are still in our sins. If out there in Israel, somewhere near Jerusalem, there is today some little unknown plot of land with a buried tomb, and in that tomb are the bones of Jesus of Nazareth. If that is true, if his bones are still there, then you and I are still in our sins and under the condemnation of God. That's what follows. But, says Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ is 
has been raised from the dead. And that being so, those who believe in him are not still in their sins. I don't think we all get this sufficiently. I think we need the power of the Holy Spirit to make these things more real to me and to you than they seem at the moment. Paul says in Romans 4.25, Jesus Christ was delivered up. He was delivered up to Pilate and to the cross for our trespasses, for our sins, your sin, my sin. That's why he went to that cruel cross. But then he says he was raised from the dead for our justification. Now what does that mean? It means that Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection are not just about a man called Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, and it's a lovely story that may be true or may be false. No, the truth matters. Let me just say this. We're in an election campaign, and political parties put out their manifestos, and they appear on all sorts of programmes, on Channel 4 or BBC or ITV, and they say what they're going to do, and they're quizzed by Andrew Neil and all these other interviewers. And increasingly, people in this country, and understandably, uh, can become very sceptical and very cynical and say, well, we can't trust politicians. We can't trust politicians. But not only that, they end up saying, well... It doesn't matter whether we can trust them or not, really. Nothing's going to change. It makes no difference. I mean, we all know they tell lies. We all know they make promises they can't keep. But so what? We just shrug our shoulders and say, hey, you know, that's the Tories, that's Labour, that's the Lib Dems. Who are they anyway? I mean, it makes no difference. Life goes on. These people, they can tell the truth. They can tell lies. So what? But let me say this to you this morning. Whatever your view may be of politicians or other people, it matters intensely that we are convinced that whether Jesus rose from the dead or did not rise from the dead is a matter of essential truth. And if this is false, then we are all doomed and lost. But if this is true, then we can be saved and live forever, and we need eternity to become reality to us. You see, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you belong to him. You are in him. And as I've said to you before many times, if you are a Christian, the story of Jesus is your story. And you say, what does that mean? My story. You mean I can read it like I might read Alice in Wonderland or Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe? No, I don't mean that. I mean that the actual reality of what Jesus went through is what you are going through and will go through too. And you think, what? Must I be crucified? Must I rise from the dead? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Jesus died to sin. He died And sin died as he was put to death. Sin was judged in his body. That's true of you if you're a Christian. Your sin is judged in Jesus on the cross. That's glorious. But even more glorious is this. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose for your justification. What does that mean? 
It means this. It means that God the Father sees the living Jesus Christ who has crucified sin away, who has dealt with sin. Sin is finished and defeated. The power of sin is destroyed. There stands in front of God the Father His living, alive, resurrected Son to say, I have made an end of, my, of sin for myself and for all my people. I took their sins on my body. I died for them. Now I'm alive and they're alive because I'm alive, because my story is their story and their story is my story. And if you are in Christ, your story is His story. You're counted righteous by God. You're counted sinless and blameless by God because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. All guilt, all condemnation, all fear of judgment, the sting of death is removed because Jesus is risen from the dead. And only because of that, only because of that, what if Jesus were not risen from the dead? And you said, oh, well, okay, he didn't quite manage that, but I can still do my best. I can still live a good life. I can still try and be a nice kind of person. I'm sure God will uh, not mind, and he will pardon my sins, and he'll let, he'll let me into heaven one day, because he knows I'm an honest sort of person, and I don't do much wrong, do I? If that's your hope, it's a vain hope. It's no hope. There's no hope of that kind held out to you. The only hope you and I have at all is that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. That's our life. That's our salvation. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't end with his death. It goes to his resurrection. He's conquered death. He's alive forevermore. And we're alive in him. Hallelujah. Praise be to God for that. These things need to come into our minds and into our hearts for so many of us. Some of us are still in our sins. Some of you are still dead in your sins. And you need the living power of Christ to come into you as you hear this message of the resurrection. But I have one more thing to say this morning. Knowing that Jesus Christ has been crucified and has risen, then the eternal future of the whole universe is glorious, is glorious. If he did not rise from the dead, then Jesus is a simple Galilean preacher, carpenter, who thought he was someone, a miracle worker maybe. We can say he did miracles. All sorts of people do miracles. That doesn't prove anything by itself. But he ultimately failed because he died saying he would rise again, and he didn't. And as I said already this morning, we may as well leave Jesus behind completely if he's still dead. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then the most amazing, wonderful, glorious things written about him in the Bible must be true. And what are some of these most amazing things written about Jesus in the Bible? I'll tell you. It means that Jesus is nothing and no one less than Lord of the universe. Hebrews 1 verse 2, we read this this morning with the, one of the adult Sunday schools. Hebrews 1 verse 2 tells us that Jesus is the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Did you hear that? Jesus created the world. 
Jesus is, as Colossians 1.17 tells us, before all things. And in him all things hold together. All creation holds together by the power of your word, we sometimes sing. Whose word? The word of the Son of God, that word. He is that word. And as Ephesians 1.21 tells us, Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, not only in this age, although in this age, but also in the one to come. Hear what we're saying this morning. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then this is true. He is Lord of all creation, both now and in the future. Now and in the future. Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. And in this present world, your physical body and who you are and what you are in yourself right now, and this world itself that we live in, still has more of the character of the dying Jesus than it does of the risen Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Think about your own self for a few moments. Are you old? Are you frail? Are you weak? Are you unwell? Are you tired? Are you in pain? Are you happy with everything about who you are and what you are? Think about your mind as well as your body. Is everything absolutely tickety-boo with the way you are today? No. No, it's not, is it? Not for any of us. Because our bodies in this world still partake of the character of the dying Jesus. We are still jars of clay, carrying in the body, says Paul, the death of Jesus. We are displays. I am and you are. We are demonstrations of the death of Jesus, the dying Jesus, the crucified Jesus. In our very frailty and weakness, that's where we are now. But, alongside all of this, the Apostle Paul tells us about the life of Jesus. We all have the life of Jesus in us, he says, if we're God's people. We have the sure and certain hope that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul is now talking about the age to come, you see. And the age to come will be an age of harvesting. There will be a full harvesting of resurrection bodies. Paul says about the resurrection of Jesus... It's the first fruits. It's the first fruits that promises the harvest to follow later on. In Israel, they had the first fruits early in the growing season. The very first crop of grain that appeared, even in springtime, was picked and celebrated, and there it is. And why did they do that? Well, here we are. The first fruit is that guarantee and assurance that there's a whole bumper harvest to come. Later on, there'll be, our barns will be overflowing with grain and with oil and with new wine because of the first fruits. It's pledging that that's going to come. Now, says Paul, that's the resurrection of Jesus. 
He was risen from the dead. Why? To assure all of us, his people, that we will follow him in the same resurrection. That's it. And when he returns, oh, glorious happy day, when Jesus Christ returns, there will be a full resurrection. Not only of our human bodies, if we are in Christ, but a resurrection, if you like, of the whole creation, the whole cosmos, the whole universe. We said last week, heaven and earth will pass away. It will in its current form, but there will be a replacement, renewed, deathless, eternal, permanent, glorious heaven and earth. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, verses 19 to 23, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to, here's that word again, futility. Futility. Futile. Without Jesus Christ and the hope of him, this world is futile. This universe is futile. Nations are futile. Elections are futile. Governments are futile. Your work is futile. Your family is futile. Your enjoyment is futile. Your whole life is futile. It seems that way. But, says Paul, but, says God, it's subjected to futility in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, listen, not only the earth and the seas and the land and the sky and the stars and the galaxies, but we ourselves, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The resurrection of Jesus, you see, is all tied up with your own future resurrection and the resurrection of of the whole creation. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then the scientists who say that this earth is just going to become a burnt-out cinder one day are absolutely right. And there's no hope and no future for us or this world. Let's face up to that. If Jesus never rose from the dead, but because he did rise from the dead, your future resurrection and the resurrection of the whole universe is on God's calendar. It's on his own giant Google calendar, on a date that only he knows about. And on that day, what may seem to us like an enchanting fiction, like an advent calendar, like Alice in Wonderland, like a wardrobe into Narnia, that will be realized and surpassed. Because as we said a few Sundays ago, truth is more wonderful than fiction. The best stories written by the most wonderfully creative authors 
are only ever pale, pale shadows and copies of the reality which is in Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, you say, yes, I'm, I am burdened now. I am groaning now. I am struggling now. I'm struggling with my body. I'm struggling with my mind. I'm struggling with my life. I'm struggling with my work. I'm struggling with my friends and family and everything else. I'm struggling with this weather. I'm struggling with the government. I'm struggling all the time, but I'm not only struggling. It's a momentary light affliction. It's for a time. It's far outweighed. We know by faith though we do not see it with our eyes, but we know by faith that there is a glory that awaits us if we are in Christ, and we need to know more of that glory. We need to think more about that glory. May God enable us to do that. Let me ask you a very brief final question. Will all this be yours? Will you be a participator in all these things? Here's the answer. It will be yours if the same power that raised Jesus up from the dead is a power that is at work in your life. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power at work in your life. And you might say, well, how can I access that power? How can I plug into that power? How can I connect to this super international cosmic grid that gives me that power of resurrection? Here's the answer. Paul tells us in Romans 10 verse 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's what we must do. We hear the gospel, which comes freely to everybody across the world, and says, here is Jesus. Look to him, all the ends of the earth, he who died and rose again. Believe in him. Confess and believe confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved and his promise of life and his power of life in you can never be extinguished or taken away if that is true for you confess your sin to him plead nothing from him other than his own love and mercy and grace and you will be saved now and forever Let's pray together. O Lord our God, to you we turn. May this power be realized in your people today. May we who have, O Lord, forgotten and ignored these wonderful promises be revived today as your spirit of life and resurrection works in us now. Come to us, Lord, in the very taking of the communion supper now, that we would know by eating and drinking that we are enjoying that table, intimate fellowship with the Lord who both died and rose again, and that we are awaiting his coming. Oh, Lord, hear us now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.